Pittsburgh Symphony rocks, huh? That was great. Thank you so much. Uh, Andy didn't know this when he selected uh, Low, How a Rose Air Blooming, that 16th century hymn, that that was, um, that was my dad's favorite, favorite hymn. My dad was one of those crazy Christmas dads. He loved Christmas. He absolutely loved Christmas. And he would often uh, cook up things that he didn't know how to make. He'd find a recipe for something, or he'd shoot something and bring it home. And, 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 and you know, it was Christmas, and Dad was in, in fifth gear and overdrive. And he would always downplay the, uh, the, the, the gifts. He'd say, well, it wasn't a good year this year, so it's, you know, it's not going to happen. In fact, he would make uh, us kids stay up on the landing, and he would go down ahead of us. We weren't allowed to go down stairs on Christmas Day. And he would go in front of us, and he would go through this sort of funeral dirge, you know, this low prophetic moan, oh, I wonder if he came, I wonder if he came. And we'd be standing up on the landing, jumping up and down, going, daddy, 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 I know he came, I know he came, I wonder, this would go on. Till he had breakfast, he had coffee, you know, he had, he had done all of his little Santa, you know, cleaning up after Santa. And then, of course, we would run down the stairs, and lo and behold, love came down. You know, love came down. And that banana cream bicycle with a long seat and the cool handlebars, you remember that one? It was there. You know, it was there. It had a stick shift on it. Yeah. yeah. You know that one. Christmas is an incredible time to, to give gifts. It's the time that we remember that love came down, that God sent His Son into our world, our dark world, to, to bring light, to bring good news. I'd like for you to stand... And I'm going to read to you the passage of Scripture that I'm going to explain. And I ask you to stand because it's, it's in effect to honor God and His Word to us. He speaks so clearly through His Word. And we need ears to hear and we need eyes to see what, what's written here. Let me read to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw the star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where was the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, And said, go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, will you now speak clearly? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, God. Amen. You may be seated. JFK said that the man walking on the moon was the greatest event in human history. The man doing the walking said the greatest event in human history was God walking on the earth. Such great events require and demand really great celebration. Love came down at Christmas. That's what we celebrate. Love came down to lead us home. Every year we, we celebrate this great event, this birthday. I wonder what Jesus thinks of this birthday celebration that we give him. I bet he kind of likes it. I really do. I know Christmas is, is confused, the meaning gets distorted, but I think our feasting, I think our gift giving really does honor him. At least a little. The ancient custom of, of gift giving comes from the two passages that you've heard this morning from Matthew's Gospel. First, the the gift of God's Son, love come down, and then, of course, the gift of the Magi, the gift of the wise men in their gifts to the Christ child. After Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, these Magi, these wise men, they came from the east. They They saw the star rise, they followed it, and they came to Jerusalem. It was likely a large entourage with a protection of soldiers to to guard them against the uh, the bandits along the way. I'm sure that there were servants there to prepare the food and to care for the animals. And these magi, the tradition says, were three. I don't know uh, if there were three or if there were 33 because the Bible doesn't say, but we take the number three from the three gifts. And from my favorite Christmas carol when I was a kid, We Three Kings. Maybe some of you know it. But you probably don't know the, uh, the fifth grade verse that I learned uh, in my Sunday school class. We Three Kings of, of Orion R. tried to smoke a rubber cigar. It was loaded, it exploded, that was the end of The Three Kings. My favorite Christmas carol. Somehow, love come down went right over my head, but I look forward to that Christmas carol every year as a kid. Now these magi, these wise men, were not kings themselves, they were advisors or counselors to king. Think of it sort of like a a cabinet for a prime minister or for a president. They were the first representatives of the nations who would come to worship the Christ child. They traveled a long ways from the east, from Babylon. 
They came probably 800 miles, 20 miles a day, over 40 days to get there. They didn't come in secret. They went right to the court. They came to honor the king, to pay homage to him, to give gifts to him. Now, did they know who he was? Did they know as much about Jesus as we do? No. No, no. But they responded to the little bit that they did know. They were learned men in a time when there was no division between science and religion. They were court magicians, really, astronomers and astrologers. Many nations have followed in these ambassadors' footsteps to come to this king. But they were a motley crew, really. They were outside of Israel, outside the, the covenant people. And yet God was calling them. You know the Bible forbids astrology. Most people know that. It's it's really, it's false prophecy. It's an attempt to gain secret knowledge, to gain success, to gain power, to gain wealth. To know the future is to try to profit by it. But modern astrologers are usually in the rundown parts of town. I wonder how their business isn't really working out for them. They, they're easy to scoff at, these astrologers. But more people dabble in it than you think. Nancy Reagan used to plan the president's travel schedule based on astrology, especially after he got shot. There are today self-help books in every bookstore that are chock full of secrets to success. There are economic advisors with complex mathematical charts and formulas trying to predict with their complex prognostications what the future economy might be like. There are life coaches. They used to be called psychologists. Life coaches who are into the whole life of fitness and nutrition and and spiritual counsel all mixed in together. There are wise men today giving Lots of advice. I was reminded of a a fascinating article that I'd read uh, several years ago about MIT-trained engineers. MIT is is right now rated the number one university in the world by the, the largest survey of world universities. It's a real egghead place, you know. And these engineers from MIT, they had doctorates in engineering, and they were building a giant skyscraper in Hong Kong. Imagine all of the hard mathematical, scientific, and technological work that went into building a skyscraper that these MIT engineers had conceived of. And yet before they started, they consulted the Feng Shui guy to make sure that it was aligned properly. So our world is not that different from the ancient world, really. We have in our world this mismatch of spirituality and science, and so modern wise men are are really not so different than the ancient wise men. But you know what the wonderful thing about this story is? The great thing about this story is not so much the wise men, but God. God is the, the main actor in this story. He is the center of this story. He is at work. And since stars had significance for magi, God descended to their level and got their attention. 
He spoke to them. He communicated with them. He called them. Yes, they're sinners. He calls them to kind of be the first ambassadors, the first representatives of the people outside of of Israel. But he seeks them out. He goes after them. He calls them and they make a holy pilgrimage to the Christ child. They know little about the one they seek to honor, but they respond to the little that they know. They set out. They ask, where's the one when they arrive at the court? Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw the star rise in the east. We've come to worship him. Was it a comet? Was it a a supernova that they saw kind of traversing the sky? What was it that drew them? An angel? Was it supernatural? We really don't know. But something got their attention. During their long journey, perhaps they discussed the old story of Daniel. Daniel was a Jew, one of their own number, a magi in the court at Babylon. Perhaps they reflected on Daniel and the things that he had written in his prophetic utterance. Did the magi remember one of their own, Balaam, who in Numbers 24, 17 said, a prophecy uh, is, is arising, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. God was in all this stuff. God was orchestrating. He was calling. He was behind. He was in. He was under all of these things. He was calling them to worship. The call to worship goes out across the earth in mysterious ways. Now we know that faith comes by hearing the word of God, but, but God oftentimes opens the doors to our hearts and minds by speaking to us in a language that we can understand. They know little. They know little, but they respond to the little that they know. You know, God is still guiding souls to worship Him. He's still calling people home to make that that journey away from the home they thought was their home to find their real home in Christ. God is still calling. He's still guiding. He is still sending out among the nations a GPS system that's calling and guiding and bringing people to the Christ child to worship Him. No doubt Herod's spies were informed about their approach. God was, was calling them. He was calling them to to be a part of this this huge family among the nations that he's making. From every nation, tribe, and tongue, God is calling people to his son. Multi-ethnic, multilingual. We'll all come. And on that great day, we will make up together an incredible symphony of praise to the Christ child who will be revealed as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as the entourage approached, it was large. It probably wasn't undercover. They, they weren't hiding anything. They, they went right to Herod's palace. And, and when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. The Greek is, he was greatly troubled because Herod was paranoid. And when the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. All of Jerusalem was troubled with him, the Bible says. Because Herod knew that there were no children born in his household lately. So what what did the Magi mean? Why were they there? He's anxious. He's nervous. 
He'd been a king for 30 years. He had huge talents. He was known in his younger years to to be able to to wage hand-to-hand combat. He was well-educated. He was a gifted politician who knew his way around the viper's nest of the Roman court. He had organized famine relief. He had put down a rebellion. He was a, a master builder. He restored the temple. He had built Masada. If you've ever seen that movie, it's amazing. I've been there. It's an amazing feat of architecture and engineering. And Herod did it. He built cities. He built theaters. He built palaces. He built harbors. But he was ruthless and paranoid. Fearing plots, he killed his wife and three of his sons to hold on to power. That's how crazy he was. And notice what that sly fox did in verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Christ to be born? Now, Herod consulted with his advisors, the chief priests on the one hand, and the scribes or the teachers of the law on the other. These two groups did not get along. One was sort of liberal, one was sort of conservative. The chief priests ran the temple. They were liberal. They were from ruling families, and they had to accommodate Roman power in order to maintain their own power. They were accommodationists. The other group, the teachers of the law, were were strict traditionalists. They were very, very conservative. And these two groups normally fought, as most political parties do, and, and, and Herod brought both of these parties together, and he said, give me your counsel, where is my rival to be born? They gave the right answer. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. And they quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, saying, But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Right answer. Wrong heart. They know the ancient prophecy. They've got a reasonably clear knowledge of where the king is to be born. They're not stumped by Herod's Bible quiz. They get it. They they, they get an A. They pass the test. And then they head on home. Imagine the family meal that night as one of the chief priests goes home to his, his family. Everybody's really nervous. Everybody's crazy. The whole city's deeply troubled because the paranoid king is deeply troubled. And the priest goes on home and says to his wife, oh, the king called on me to answer a question of faith today. Ooh, says the family. Ooh, he did. What did you say? I answered correctly. I told the truth straight from Scripture. Pass the salt, please. The lamb is dry. Utter indifference. Utter indifference to the truth. He just goes on about his life. He doesn't go to Bethlehem. He doesn't get in the caravan. He doesn't go and grab his gift for the new king. Religious people, like me, are often the last to respond to God's call. They know the right answer in their head, but that truth has not gone that miraculous distance of six inches from here to here, from the head to the heart. 
They know the right answer, but they don't respond. In verse 7, we read that Herod called the Magi secretly. He's pumping them for information, and, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sends them to Bethlehem. He says, go, make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me. And then he lies, so that I too may come and bow down and worship him. He had no intention to worship this king. He's desperately holding on to his own throne. And when this scheme failed, he ordered boys in the little town of Bethlehem, under the age of two, to be slaughtered. And scholars say that that 10 or 20 or or even as many as 30 little boys were executed, murdered, as a result of Herod's paranoia. You know, there are tyrants and radicals in the world today who are violent in their opposition to Christianity, violent in their quest to suppress Christianity and its truth. There, There really are people who hate God out there. History is, is littered with attempts to wipe out worship as though that were possible. Lots of dictators. We can tell this sad story of, of various antichrists who with their anti-life motivation want to kill in order to maintain the throne in their own hearts. Verse 9 says that after the king heard this, the Magi heard this from the king, they, they went on their way. Star went before him. In the east, it stops over Bethlehem where the child was. And, and then when they saw that star, they were, they were really excited. They were overjoyed, overflowing with joy. And on coming to the house... They saw the child with Mary. They bowed down. They worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures, presented him with gifts of of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, that sly fox, they they returned to their country by some other route, perhaps a, a secret route. Now the Magi don't know everything. They don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, but they act on the truth they know. They bow, they worship, they bring gifts. Gold, the metal of kings, frankincense, perfume that is painstakingly extracted from the bark of a rare tree that's used in temple worship. It signifies that that this king is our high priest, our kingly high priest. And they bring myrrh. And myrrh's used for embalming. It points to the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus died on that cross, they took down his, his cold, cold body. And they lugged it to the tomb of a rich man. And along the way, they they threw in hastily 60 pounds of of aloes and and myrrh. 
to embalm his body. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Love came down. And these wise men, they brought gifts that were expensive. They gave their best. They gave what was natural for people in their station to give. They're not poor. They're not shepherds. The shepherds could only give their hearts. But these wise men were loaded. And they gave their homage and they gave their riches. And no doubt those gifts financed the Holy Family's flight to Egypt that we read about in chapter 2 to escape the madness of King Herod. That was the custom in those days and still today when you visit a king, you, you bring a gift and the king in turn gives you something back. But Jesus' family was poor. And Joseph was an artisan, a worker in stone, a stonemason, a, a, a woodworker, a builder of some kind. He didn't have any money. He had nothing to give back to the Magi, nothing at all except the gift of his son. And I think the Magi got the better deal. This story shows three responses. Three responses of the heart to the reality that love really did come down on Christmas. The first response is is Herod. That desire of the human heart, we all have within us a little bit of that Herodian heart that wants to cling to the power we have enthroned ourselves in the throne of our heart, and and we reluctantly receive the king. We want to be in control. We want to have power. Herod clings to that. So much so that he's in opposition to God and in opposition to God's people. Many more, however, are more like the chief priests and the scribes both the liberals and the conservatives, the accommodationists and and the traditionalists, a lot of us are like those people. They were just indifferent. They were content with a little bit of truth. Yeah, we know the answer to that. As they walk away and fail to bow. The Magi, though, they, they know a little bit and they take the little they know and they make that holy pilgrimage of faith. To worship. Wise men, wise women still hear the call. They, they still have that GPS system of the heart that, that God has designed, maybe uniquely for you in some ways, to, to call you to Him. How about you, really? I mean, let's just have a, a moment here. How about you? Do you have feelings at all of hostility toward God? Maybe you're cleaned up nice, you know, you got your Christmas best on, but inside there's a raging war in your heart against God. You've been suppressing the truth. My prayer is that this Christmas would be the time you end your fight with God. He's not your enemy. He's not. I'm not your enemy either. I'm just just the messenger. Maybe you've suppressed that truth. Maybe you're satisfied. You've heard it all before. You've been to these services over and over. You know a bit about God. But in knowing the right answers, you still remain indifferent. But this Christmas, 
can be different for you. This Christmas can break your indifference as you see the Christ child afresh. Are you seeking? Maybe maybe you're one of the magi-like wise men, wise women who are seeking this Christmas, genuinely seeking, maybe covering it over a bit, but, but genuinely wanting to know the purpose for which you've been created. It's answered right here in this old, old story. You have been created and fashioned and shaped by a loving God that you might be part of His global family and spend eternity, as we sang early, earlier, centering your life upon Him and enjoying Him forever. You've been created to worship. And that's why you were drawn here this morning. God guided you here this morning. By some star or another, I don't really know how he got you here, but, but you were guided here. Some sign came to you, a sign that only you can understand and only you can decipher. But God has got your attention. And he's drawn you here. And you're eager to respond this Christmas. To give your life to him. To worship him. Well, as I close, I, I pray that the prayer that I'm about to pray would, would give you words that would give you maybe some direction for, for your heart and, and your life. Give the gift of your heart and your life to Christ this Christmas. I promise you, you will never regret it. He is so worthy. There is no other cause worth giving your life to than the cause of Christ. He's a good Savior. He cleanses us from sin. He holds on to us even when we walk away from Him. He is patient. He is loving. He is kind. He is holy and morally pure. And He offers His righteousness to you. That's His gift to you. Relationship with God through Christ. Love came down at Christmas. Open the gift of God's love for you. Let's pray. Father, the joy we want is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. We have enough already. We've come to you You've called us, and we give you the gift of our hearts. We give you worship of your Son. We give you our lives. We give you our treasure. And this day, we choose to follow and worship your Son. And we give to you the service of our time, our talent, and yes, our treasure, those things that we would otherwise enjoy for ourselves, we, we give to you. And what you do not need, we bring as tokens of our worship. And we say to you, you, Lord Jesus Christ, are our treasure.